My guest today is Fionn Davenport, Editor-in-Chief at Irish Travel Trade Network, broadcaster, travel writer and co-anchor at Off the Ball Golf Weekly Podcast. Fionn, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Emer. That's some introduction. Um, that's some career to date that you've had, Fionn Davenport. A jack of all trades, a master of none, perhaps. I know, but still, it's nice trades to have, very much mm. so. Um, Fionn, travel has been at the centre, as we can see, of your life and your career to date. Um, so maybe if we start at the beginning, I know that your love affair with travel began at a very early age. It, it did indeed, Emer. I, I first started travelling on my own when I was 15, 16 years old, but because of my father who worked for the government and my mother who is Italian, we traveled literally since the day I was born. So I lived abroad. I went to live in Argentina when I was a tiny little boy. We would spend every summer in Italy with my grandparents. And so that sense of kind of moving from Dublin to beyond happened right at birth and really has never slowed down since. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a lifelong thing. Yeah, it's amazing how and it's lovely that you, you mentioned that because it's the impact that travel has had on our lives and the importance of it. And there's a perfect example of it in that, you know, for you, your the travel, the love affair began at childhood. And as a result of that, it then led to you, you know, traveling and it becoming your career to date. Uh, absolutely. And I think, um, in fairness, a lot of the credit, as I said, goes to my parents, but also because they trusted me to make good decisions. So even perhaps, I mean, you, you wouldn't recommend it nowadays for a 15 year old. But um, when I was 15, as I said, I I got a trip. I went from Dublin to Florence overland. So I got the train down to Rosslare, got the ferry across, went to Paris, waited for the overnight train. Florence and and my parents at the time were absolutely certain that I was able to do it and it and it awoke in me this real excitement and and it was small things it was different languages in France it was having to read it was having to read maps it was having to just get a sense of plotting a, a journey from one place to the next and and that excitement has really fueled every single thing that I've done. So after I finished university, I didn't really know what to do. I, I thought I wanted a career in academia because I'd studied history and then gone on to do uh, postgraduate work in history. And uh, instead, this was the years where the Morrison visas or the Donnelly visas were available for Irish people moving sure. to the States. And and so I, I moved to New York and literally Emer with nothing in my head as to how I was going to fill my days. I applied for a position as a junior editor at Fodor's Travel Guides in New York and I got the job. Oh my goodness, and I that, remember it so well. Yeah, so so that launched my professional career and, and I would joke at the time is that I love traveling. I'd done a fair amount, even in college, you know, I'd done interrailing and you know, there was the, the classic kind of coming of age stuff that a lot of young people get to do. But the joke was, is that I managed to turn my passion into something that I could make a living out of. And, and you know, got, lo and behold, not quite 30 years later, but near enough, I'm still doing it. Well, 
in fairness now just by the by the by my fingertips at the moment but but mm-hmm. I'm still yeah I'm still very much in travel and at this stage I don't see myself doing anything else no I I can definitely confer with that it's just those you know those years those formative years if you have any travel experience it it, it definitely fuels your appetite and there's very few of us, we, a lot of us are very, very privileged to have it as our, our career and mm. it's, it's, it's a wonderful position to be in. Um, you mentioned there your early years. Where was the first holiday, the adult holiday abroad, um, do you recall? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, oh my goodness me. As in, as a grown-up, where was the first holiday that I ever went on? Um, perhaps Germany when I was in university, so college, I would go to Germany, but it was more of a working holiday um, just to try and earn some money. So for the year ahead, but in terms of just an out and out adult holiday, I remember when I moved to New York, two friends of mine and I, we really liked the idea of just going on a big road trip. So what we did is we rented a car and we drove from New York to Guatemala and we were gone for two months and so we drove all the way down from New York, all the way down the East Coast, Coast into yeah. the Deep South. We spent a few days in New Orleans. Then we drove across into Texas, spent a few more days in Texas, crossed the border at Brownsville, and then spent, well, maybe two or three weeks driving slowly through Mexico. Fabulous. We ended up then in Belize, where we went to one of the islands off the off the coast, Key Calker. And we spent a couple of weeks just lounging around there. And then we ended up driving up into Guatemala and to Tikal, which is one of the old Mayan capital. And mm-hmm. at the time, so this would have been the early 90s, Guatemala was still in the throes of its civil war. And so it was a pretty dangerous country and mm-hmm. still very beautiful. And, and, and But I remember at the time, it was maybe a mix of just excitement and irresponsibility. But... I was thrilled at the idea. Also felt that like nothing was going to happen to me because I don't know, because I had this ironclad self-confidence mm. maybe at the time. Um, but just the idea of, of challenging ourselves and, and, and I mean, obviously I wasn't trying to drive specifically into areas that were held by rebels or that where war was happening, but it was so exciting and yeah, I mean, and and years later, it's it still kind of fuels a lot of my thoughts about travel. And um, there was another adventure I had in China where I spent two and a half months kind of hitchhiking my way around southwestern China on my own. And And this is important because oftentimes when people ask me about the joys of travel, sometimes yes. travel can be truly difficult and miserable. And this trip in China was particularly troublesome because... I didn't speak the language um, and very few people spoke any English. So I spent a huge amount of time just kind of in an in, in, in almost linguistic isolation. And and I got sick. I was very, very cold for a time. Um, and I was very lonely. But at the same time, I was still kind of pursuing this journey. And And it was only after I got back that I realized that this was one of the great adventures of my life because I'd really challenged myself. And I'd really, as they say, you know, they say you travel in order to kind of find yourself, which always strikes me as such a bizarre thing to say. But what I think perhaps is meant by that is, is that 
it's not so much that you find yourself when you travel, but that you realize that those things that you thought were the limits of your of your capabilities aren't actually limits at all, that you, that you kind of push beyond the boundaries of what you can endure and you realize, oh my God, I'm capable of a lot more than that, than I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. And this China trip for me was a very, very good and, and uh, a seminal example of exactly that because... As I said, I felt I felt I challenged myself to be lonely, to be to be scared, probably isn't it, but to 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 be really in difficulty and to overcome those difficulties. Mm-hmm. And and I like to think that it's kind of helped shape my character thereafter. Yeah. And that's hugely important. Like as I sit here listening to you, um, I'm captivated by it, but I'm thinking back to the 16 year old navigating his way to Florence <laughs> and that was that, thrilling, Emer. Thrilling. that was thrilling I know but but that that was thrilling but that's again was the framework for and you know you you took from that trip like you took you know you 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 headed off on that adventure but that adventure again stood to you in la in, you know once that China trip came about and you were challenged once again and you had to you know mm. dig deep in a lot of ways the framework was there you had the experience and it's all the previous experiences that we've had and traveled that help us deal you know with sometimes as you said there are trips that can be challenging for sure you know it's i i think i think there's a couple of factors involved one is is that for all i i like to think i have a pretty outgoing nature but i am at heart quite kind of a shy person in that I have to force myself or I used to have to force myself to talk to strangers. Like I'd be a little bit shy or a little almost scared of talking to people. You know, the way you have some people who are just naturally outgoing. Um, And so that's one thing that you challenge yourself to do because, you know, it's about asking people for directions or, uh, and then the second thing is, is that I, I loved geography in school. I loved it and history and, one of the things I was particularly good at was orienteering. So I was very good at, I used to go on these orienteering weekends where you'd be given a map and compass points and all the rest. And, and you know, we'd plot our way around a woods and, and have to find, you know, different positions and things like that. So when I'm in Paris and I'm looking at the map, and this is long before Google Maps or anything like that. So I have a map in my hand and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go. I felt this thrill almost of the adventurer, mm. the explorer. And, you know, to, to a 16-year-old boy, you know, being in Paris City, I didn't know at all, um, and walking around and trying to plot his way around was almost akin to, I don't know, I, 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 I like mm-hmm. to think at the time that it was my Northwest Passage, but, um, but yeah. not really. But it was that sense of, of that, that sense of excitement of being able to kind of figure out something and, and then at the end just kind of going, yes, I did yeah. it. Yeah. And knowing, as you said, that you felt that this is something that, you know, this is only the beginning. Like I've passed. Th- I thought this is beyond me and I've, I've managed to overcome whatever challenges there might be. And guess what? There's more and there's a lot more in me, too. You know, um, that's yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I mean, there's always that sense with travel as opposed to just going on holidays, um, because the, the really holidays and travel are almost 
the opposites of each other in the spectrum. So whereas holiday is about finding a place of relaxation, you know, from a busy work life or a place where you can go and kind of switch off and, and recharge the batteries or, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and people try, go on holidays in a million different ways. But travel is about something else. Travel is, is exploration. It's, it's exploration of a destination. Mm. It's exploration of yourself. It's exploration of, of a challenge. It's, 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 it's all about pushing. And, mm. and, and how hard you push is up to yourself on the given day. But, but it is definitely a different kind of thing. And for me, as I get older, perhaps, I don't have the time for that long travel that I used to engage in okay but i remember it with great fondness and with great respect and gratitude Mm. because as i said it really helped define the person that i am today yeah i can i can definitely i'm nodding here in agreement with you as i'm listening to you (laughs) for sure because it has formed me and i know you know in challenging times and for different reasons and you know you have the impact um that it's had on my life um, throughout the years, um, I would definitely have to agree with, on that for sure. The most, I, this was probably something similar to what we've just discussed, but I'm thinking if there was three, I know you're the guy, as I set up to think about this conversation we were going to have today, I was like, God, he's probably been everywhere. But um, the three most memorable places that you've traveled to and the memories maybe that you have from those places, Fionn. Okay, so the aforementioned China trip is definitely one of the three Mm. for the reasons that I outlined. Um, I'd never done anything quite as challenging. I'd never done anything quite as alone Mm. as that and 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 kind of came out triumphant, you know, this sense of real accomplishment. Uh, the second trip was the very first guidebook that I wrote for Lonely Planet, which was the Sicily Guide. And that was in the 90s. And I spent six months around Sicily, again, traveling on my own, but I'm the son of an Italian mother. So I have fluent Italian. So that wasn't really the difficulty. It was just this great sense of accomplishment about trying to get to grips with a country and its complicated history and, and, and its interesting geography and all these wonderful places and trying to create out of nothing, a guidebook. So that was, that was definitely number two. And then number three, is a trip that I took with my mother for her 70th birthday. She is a very well-traveled woman, but for one reason or another had never been to Asia. So I have been traveling in and out of Asia since I was, you know, in my, in my twenties. And so I took her to Thailand and Cambodia and it was going to, for me, the, the particular slice of the trip that will always stay with me is when we explored Angkor Wat yeah. And to see that just the, the, this, this happiness, I guess, or the sense of wonder on my mother's face and know that we were doing this together mm. and that it was something that as mother and son, we hadn't traveled together since long before I left home. Yeah. And to be able to do that for her 70th birthday. So that would be, the, for me, the, the, the three trips that stay with me the most. Yeah, and it's the memories that they create that is just so great you know the memories that we will have to cherish you know forever as you said like that idea of mother and son and anger what you know what a memory 
Oh, it was, it, and it was strange because this is a few years ago now, but it was before Anchor Watt has now become incredibly popular with, uh, and so there's the, the, the Siem Reap, which is the town next to it, is really built up even just in the short space of time in the 10 years or so, well, more than 10, but 12 years since I was there. And um, it's been built up hugely. So it's it's been completely transformed. Um but when we were there, we were, for one reason or another, we were very lucky in that we we got up very early in the morning to watch the dawn rise. And there was relatively few people around. And so in a sense, although we didn't have the ruins entirely to ourselves, there was a sense where we could just feel that it was just my mum and I just walking around these wonderful ruins. And I have pictures of her standing in that temple with all the the, the tree uh, the you know the 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 knots of the tree reaching in a bit Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. So my mom, I have this wonderful photograph of my mother just in the middle of all these branches, and it was just it's really something. And and yeah, it was one of the great great trips. Yeah, there's a big difference between the the word as you said travel and holiday, and for sure. And like I, it's it's funny when, as you were talking about that experience that you've had with your mom. I had a similar one. A um, couple of years ago with an aunt who at the age of 82, um, both myself and her headed off to India. And I have that lovely wow. memory. Yeah. Um, amazing lady. Um, and since then, we did Vietnam. Um, she was 85. But I have a lovely memory, just like you, of visiting the Taj Mahal um, with her um, and, you know, doing the tour. But after the tour, we walked out and found just a little cafe to the side and sat there, but they had a, a garden at the back and the guy there put out two chairs and we had our tea in this little grass area looking straight out on t- facing the Taj Mahal. And it was just one of those poignant moments, you know, of um, godmother and goddaughter um, sitting there having the tea in India, watching and looking and at that wonderful, iconic um Taj Mahal so yeah they are very very isn't that gorgeous gorgeous yeah, yeah. beautiful memory I mm. and and I suppose the other thing as well is that I don't even need to go to somewhere exotic like Angkor Wat like my father who's born in Parkgate Street in Dublin mm. raised in Dublin and then left Dublin and didn't live in Ireland for 30 years before he died but he would come home to visit and he'd come visit me or visit my brother and his family. And the thing I used to love is walking around town with my dad. And my dad had a great memory and a great ability to spin a yarn and tell a story. So, you know, when we got through the, oh, geez, that, that building wasn't there when I was, you know, there was mm. a lot of that going on. But he, could, he was also brilliant at capturing a moment in time. So he could remember Dublin of the late 40s or the early 50s when he was a young teenager. And he could describe what he was doing or who who operated that shop that is now gone, that is now something else. And so, and again, and I think that I always had that growing up as well, was that sense of, that sense of travel, travel, in in a kind of slightly esoteric philosophical way where you're kind of going elsewhere, whether it's back in time or yeah. to another destination. But walking around Dublin with my dad 
was always something that I loved doing. You're a golfer, a great golfer, I hear. Well, geez, I don't know <laughs> if I would be great golfer, but I'm, I'm, I try hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I try hard. Yeah, yeah. So golf, I suppose, a bit like travel. It's taken you to lots of nice places. Um, oh, I've played, yeah. Yeah, I've been lucky. You've been lucky. Yeah. A lucky guy. If there was one course in the world that you would love to play or have played, perhaps probably have, where would it be? Um, I've walked it, but I've never played it. I've never played Pebble Beach, so at Monterey. Yeah. Um, um, one, because, I mean, there's the, the obvious ones like Pine Valley or Augusta. You know, these are exclusive private members clubs. Mm. And, and I'm... Um, as much as I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that if someone offered me the chance to play Augusta that I would turn it down. But the, the, the exclusivity kind of turns me off. Yes. Pebble Beach is a public golf course. Now, it's a very expensive public golf course. And, you know, it's $500 around. And, um, but it's a public golf course. So technically, anybody can play. You don't need the invite of a billionaire member to, to, to tee it off and I think that's important for me that's something yeah. that has value yeah. so it would be Pebble Beach um, and uh, and it's the same reason why St Andrews is which okay. I have played and yeah. loved Fabulous although I'd course. like to play it again because I hope I would play better and not be so tense and nervous about my one <laughs> chance to play St Andrews but St Andrews is also a public course and and uh, so for me that sense that you have these incredibly famous golf courses but that it's important that they be open to the public, that technically anybody who has, you know, a set of golf clubs, some money in their pocket yeah. and can book the tea time can just go out and play. Yeah. And, and I like that. So Pebble Beach would be the one um, if I had to pick up all the golf courses that I can think of. Um, uh, yeah, I think it might be that one. So I suppose as we're chatting here today, on the 19th of February, um, it kind of brings to mind, I suppose, just that travel has been paused for the last 12 months for us. And I know with certainty, you know, um, just like you, that we will travel again. Um, and yes. when we do, um, I'd be just interested to get your thoughts on, like, what do you see that perhaps might be different or trends that you can see forming for us travel-wise in the future? When all this is over, we will travel more carefully. We will curate our experiences better. We will engage more sustainably with the destinations we go to. Those things may well be true for those who are already of a mind towards more curated travel. Sure. Um, sustainability is obviously very important. I think um, even travel writer colleagues of mine I've seen have committed to going plane free. Now, it's how convenient that, you know, we've all gone plane free for the last year, sure. but that they once even the planes are up in the air, that they'll continue to do so now. And whilst I think that that segment of of the of the traveler will perhaps adopt an increasingly responsible attitude towards the impact of travel, I absolutely am convinced that for the overwhelming majority it'll be something like the jazz age it'll be after this year of terrible prohibition this is that that hunger that appetite to get abroad to to get on a plane to go mm. somewhere to to take the kids on a to a beach in 
Mexico or Spain or wherever, I think is going to be redoubled. And so I think we're going to travel with a greater hunger. I think we will attack a destination with greater vigor. A definite, um, the appetite for sure is most certainly is there. It's just, um, you know, when the time comes, we will, you know, people will get on planes and start moving and, and experiencing. And so the wheel will turn once again. Um, the world right. will, will start rolling. Like I remember when I was thinking about putting this podcast together, like my whole purpose for it was exactly what you described. Like just, you know, for me, travel, it's just, it's character building. It enriches our soul and our lives, you know, and just to have that desire, as you said, to hold on to that desire to, to be um, off on our travels again is just so, so important. Where to next for Fionn? What's over the horizon and in future oh, travel plans? Well, Or should I maybe rephrase so, that and say, where well, has Fionn not been to that he would like to go to? Well, oddly enough, so my bucket list trips at the moment are Japan, and yep. I had when 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 <laughs> it seems like it seems like so long ago, but not just before Christmas. I had it in my mind that I would be able to get to Japan before the end of the year. Yeah. Maybe I still will. Um, I've never been to Japan, so that's one. That would be um, a perfect fit for you. Absolutely, mm, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I'd like that very yeah. much. And then ultimately, like before, I'm too old to move, or uh, before oh, I become too infirm. Antarctica. I mean, it's many people's a bucket list trip, but it's been mine since I uh, read a book about Ernest Shackleton when mm-hmm. I was 12 yeah. years old. Fionn, it's been my privilege to chat to you today. Um, the boy who went to Florence at the age of 16 and who made travel the day job. I thank you so much for being my guest today on Over the Horizon Travel Podcast. Emer, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm.